Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. We are going to be having an interesting and fun conversation today with Chaka, who is a facilitator in the knowledge sharing space for kids. So welcome to the podcast, Chaka. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So like, tell us. Uh, happy to be here. Oh, we're happy to have you. We're sure this will be fun. Yeah. All right, so like, tell us briefly, what do you do in terms of, um, say, your, your, your area of, of profession in, in child learning? Okay, so um, I'm an educator. And basically, like what you mentioned, I facilitate learning. Um, currently, I am the ICT specialist in my school. So that means anything that has to do with IT skills and has to do with helping teachers basically in my school to transfer knowledge and oh. be a good person. Yeah. Oh, oh that, that's interesting. And I, I think part of the, yeah. the conversation today was explore um, teaching in the digital age. And, and I think you'll be very ideal for that conversation down the line. So <laughs> thank you. If, All right. So like part of my curiosity or part of the reason for having this conversation series is like for for me like children, especially for the families that decide to have children, they're like a focal point and being able to teach them or train them I, in a way that they benefit maximally from it is, is something of curiosity for me. So uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ask in, in your experience, in your opinion, like, when when do you think is the ideal time for parents to actually start taking deliberate efforts in teaching their children? Um, ideally, um, there actually there's no ideal answer, sort of. But I think um, from research and just from personal experience, even at, because I'm looking okay, at my school, I like to make reference to my school because that's where I have my experience from. Um, in my school, um, from ages eight, from 18 months, you start noticing certain things about children. Even while I think they're actually at the womb, they actually take, um, you know, you hear situation, you hear people say things like, oh, you think to your baby, and you hear that kick and all that. So yeah. the moment I think it's from the, from the womb, that's okay. my own answer. Um, the moment children start developing, before they even come out of the room, sort of, you could take deliberate actions to like think to your child, um, read to your child, even talk to your child, because so, um, they listen and they actually act or respond to such um, activities. Then, well, if you're in a classroom or you're in a school from ages 18, in months, that's right. like a year and six months. You start seeing children sort of like crawling, responding to nursery rhymes, um, start seeing them trying to develop their like fine motor skills. So you see them handling toys, moving toys, responding to music and the likes. So while you're at home too, you could take deliberate actions like singing to them, reading to them, even talking to them, they actually do respond. Yeah. Oh, it, it, thanks. That does like um, a fascinating 
series of response I've gotten. So like from, from, from what I understand is like at different child of at different stages of the child's development, as long as uh, yeah. I think beginning from the point where they can get stimulus from the environment, they when they're in the womb, like people could actually start taking deliberate efforts to teach. And the example yeah. you gave of all oh, reading to the child when they're in the womb or playing music, I think I've seen a couple of that. Like <laughs> what I see, like when parents want to get their child accustomed to a particular music, and most I've seen is classical music. Yeah. So they play a lot of Mozart yeah. and all that. Then they read some particular books. You see um, fathers either reading to, to the mothers or and and, and that, that's fun. So that that takes yeah. me to like another version of that question. So Okay. I since since in your school or, or where you have most of your experiences is from 18 months and above. So yeah. Right. Like what are the most effective teaching frameworks or teaching tools? So do you read to them? Do you sing to them? Is it more of a visual color representation? Like what is the best way to 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 get to kids, say from 18 months or so? Okay, so like um we have this motto in my school, like every child matters and all children do not, they learn differently. So maybe as an educator, um, you have different learning styles. You have children that are visual learners. You have children that are kinesthetic. You have children that also listen to audio, right? And they learn better. Or you have children that are just like a combination of all. And also there's also something called, um, for children in the early years, Okay. That's for like ages zero to like five. We mm. don't have um, like in a, an active style of teaching. We believe that children at that particular age should like learn through play. So yeah. it could be us um, creating that type of play. It could be active play, like going outdoors, exploring. Or it could even be a short, like a maybe like short term Form of learning where it's like circle time and you just have a little bit of active teaching or concentrated teaching so we try to look at what generally not just children in the early years okay. um, we try to look at the learning styles or what different children respond to and you know there's something called in education differentiated teaching okay. so we try to look at how to differentiate learning for different children so that um, everyone is achieving a particular learning goal. So if you are trying to um, reach across or teach a child, you just have to know the different styles of teaching. It could be active learning. It could be something as simple as group work, working as a group. It could be something as simple as creating visual displays it could catch the child's attention and mm. knowledge is, is being passed across. Like it even be something like music, combining both. Um, that, okay, like in my class, what I like to do most times is I don't do the whole writing on the board. So like my classroom is, um, the way it is, you have different, different things to keep a child engaged. So you yeah. have children that learn faster you want to challenge them or extend their learning. And you have children that are trying to understand one simple concept. So because you have that kind of mixed um, learn learners yeah. in your classroom, you just have to make sure your classroom can 
accommodate all these learners so that no child is being left behind in your learning goal. Oh, that, that sounds pretty much interesting. It's, I, yeah. I think it's, it's more interesting for me, for the facilitator than for, for the children because you have like a vast array of tools you can check yeah and you get to measure each other like and from the way it sounds like how how difficult like what is the difficulty in trying to to like carry everybody along because like you pointed out not everybody has the same frequency at which they learn and assimilate so naturally some children will be faster than the other so what are some of yeah. the challenges you face in trying to get everybody that kind of yeah yeah um, um one stress it's a bit stressful because you have to plan your lesson you have to know the children in your classroom. Then there's also the situation where you have like assessment, pre-assessment um, before your lesson. You have to know all oh, um, stuff like, oh, in the previous class, um, what did this child do based on their feedback, based on the routine task they've done and all that. So if you're planning a class or maybe you're planning a topic or a learning objective you want to achieve, you need to know one, the number of children you have. Yeah. And it's not so easy, right? Um, yeah. At the start of the lesson, you still have to give a short form of assessment. It could be informal, it could be formal. So imagine if you have regularly um, 45 minutes to teach a class, you have five minutes for your starter activity. Yeah. And you have maybe say a class size of 10. In all honesty, that five minutes, um, activity to truly measure or truly know where each child is at. Um, your starter activity won't be actually five minutes. You might see yourself doing um, starter activities at like 10 minutes. Then when you have that kind of situation whereby you're trying to assess each child, time is going, you mm -hmm. get. Mm -hmm. And because time is actually leaving, you might not really get a true most time, not most time, um, you might not really get a true sense of where a child is actually at. You might just want to do like, um, you might want to make like an estimate or a guess or like, oh, I think this child is close to this, but not exactly at where you want that child to be. And again, you might, um, the issue of, um, because of this kind of problem of not really carrying everybody along, mm -hmm. you might just want to have like maybe one learning objective. Now you have something in, education um there's a term we call it maybe children that are like not necessarily low ability but they understand one simple concept and imagine this scenario whereby it's just one teacher you have 10 children in the classroom and you're yeah. trying to meet every child's need in the classroom and you you're trying to meet those children that are not really up there with the birds those i mean those children that are not really high achievers or they, they, they can't really grasp concept quickly okay. or faster. So when you're focusing or concentrating on the low ability learners, children that learn at their own pace, okay. you might leave those other children. Uh, you are not challenging the other children. You're not meeting their own needs. Even if they're able to achieve that learning objective, you know that they can actually do more. Oh. You can actually stretch their learning or even challenge them. So it's a bit, um, it can be very, very tasking on the part of a teacher when you're planning and you're trying to differentiate and you're trying to accommodate the needs of every child in the classroom. It's 
a whole lot. And over time, initially, maybe the first few weeks, you're not necessarily burnt out, but you, you see it um, towards the end of maybe an academic year or a session, you see that a teacher is being affected and in some um, sometimes some children too, especially those that are high achievers or those that you're not necessarily meeting their needs. Mm -hmm. um, they too are not really achieving or they're not necessarily hitting their target or where they are meant to be at at the end of the section. So yeah. it's yeah. it's a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that pain. But we try. We actually do try. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that paints an interesting picture. And some of the the things, like like some of the things you addressed that, that kind of worries me about the way schooling is structured is like um, most of the, the quick learners or the fast learners, they tend to suffer from the system. Then most of yeah. the slow learners, they also tend to suffer from the system. So being able to create that balance is, is actually very important. Uh, like, yeah. uh, and from this, from the conversation so far, I, I couldn't help but ask, like, how could parents help in the process of, of, of getting their children to the point where to make the job easier for the teachers that will be teaching them in the class? So as a parent, what oh, would yeah. you do? I'm one, I think communication, if you communicate regularly with your teachers or the teachers in your child's school, um, you should be able to know the child's progress, child learning progress, because it's not just only um, the teacher's responsibility. Parents are also responsible for their child's learning. Um, it's by one, um, communicating regularly yeah. with the teachers. Yeah, so it's important to know where your child is in terms of learning their progress, the progress um, your kids have made so far. Um, at the start of the term, you could have a discussion with your child's teacher to know like, oh, what are the topics? What do you want you, my child to achieve? And also you could have like weekly or bi-weekly or maybe twice in a term or three times in a term. Just have regular conversation or communication with the teachers, not only on open days. That's the truth. Because the thing is, if you're only meeting your child's teachers during open day or parent teachers conference, you're not really, it's, it's sort of like um, not nipping the board or nipping the issue. Yeah. If you're having regular conversations with your child, with your child's teachers, you should be able to be conversant or know where your child is at and how you can stretch the child. And you could also have maybe bonding time with your kids okay. whereby you know what the child is facing at school or in school and what you can do to help and it's also nice to I know I, I know that most times my kids parents who have such time with them um, they tend to be the children tend to be more active in learning mm -hmm. they, they tend to take um, that responsibility or they take to, they tend to take their own learning seriously compared to when parents are not as active in their child's um, learning. So you could do that. You could have, you could also decide to, at the end of school, maybe during the weekend, if you are busy, to like spend time to look at what your child has learned in a week. So you know your child's struggle and all that. Because honestly, teachers are humans too. 
And remember the problem we mentioned earlier, um, teacher not really catering fully to each child's learning need. Now yeah. imagine if, God forbid, or say um, the teacher, maybe due to oversight, um, yeah. might have skipped or might not necessarily have noticed a learning challenge in your child. Okay. When you are able to spend that time, ample time with your own child, it's like one-on-one. -on -one. You're mm -hmm. able to know where your child is, their strength, their weakness, what they're able to do well. And you can even give um, teachers tips on how to work with your child. Oh, my child learns better when you give them reward, when you give them positive mm. feedbacks. Mm. They strive more um, when, when you tell them that, oh, I'm at home. If you try this behavior with me in class or if you're not taking your learning seriously, I will have that conversation with your dad or your mom. They will mm -hmm. sit up more because they know that mommy and daddy is actively involved and mommy and daddy is aware of their, in quote, every move. So those are just um, those little ways they can actually help. Well, like, what, what you said, what you said now is just, is full of, of interesting points and 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 the part that touched me the most is it kind of addresses the point where parents on the average they see the teachers as superhumans that should know everything and yeah and, and know how to address all the challenges but if parents actually take out time to understand their children they could actually give the teachers insight that will make their job easier to helping the child yeah. instead of trying to discover the child because for the most part parents spend the longest amount of time with the children before they get into school so there's that yeah. phase that the parents are more aware of. So if they're able to pick up one or two things and they give those points to the teachers, uh, that could actually help in developing the child. Like that, that's beautiful. I really like that. There's one, yeah. there's something you said that I'd like us to speak about. Um, you yeah. said something about, if I'm not mistaken, parents should be able to kind of like set targets they want their children to achieve and also kind of like monitor um, their children based on that. So yeah, that, progress. Yeah, progress. Okay. You have regular conversations. I'm not. Okay. Okay. So it's not necessarily um, target in quotes. Um, yeah. It's just like, you know how you have these developmental milestones a child is meant to yeah. be at at each age. Okay. Okay. So say, for example, um, maybe, yeah year one which is like primary one your okay. child should be able to um should be able to write legibly or should be able to form most part of the letters okay. and they're like certain math concept your child is meant to know in order for the child to um do well in year two or primary two mm -hmm. so if you have that kind of conversation with um say the, your child's teachers or what are those target learning targets mm -hmm. or those things they are meant to know mm -hmm. um, and it's it's something as simple as your child's scheme of work or oh. like your child's um curriculum overview these oh. are the topics these are the concepts each child is meant to understand and have um skills they are maybe literacy skills numeracy skills yeah. these are the things your child is meant to know so if you have that kind of conversation with and it's not just for one child. It's not just for, it's just a general thing at certain, um, at certain stages in a child's life yeah. and based on the child's development, mm -hmm. what your brain can assimilate and all that. 
um, these are the certain things your child is meant to know. So if you are able to say, have that conversation with your child's teacher, at the back of your mind, you already know, um, sort of in quote, what your child is meant to reach their target. It's so that this is um, so um, so that you won't have a case whereby thought term, um, and it's oh. always nice to have it at the start of the session, first term, okay. not short term. And I think that's where some parents get it wrong. You're not having these discussions with um, your with the class teachers on time. You're having it maybe towards the end when your you, the class teacher is trying and um, sort of like flagging it up, or your child is not meeting this based on the data collated, based on this, based on that, um, there is something wrong. And you have parents trying to, not even parents, sometimes even the teachers, Nothing. I'm not trying to like um, speak bad, but it's just a human thing. We're all imperfect. So it's this kind of um, mistakes that you could avoid, you get. So if you're able to have that conversation, you're able to know the target or the learning goals of your child in a particular class. It saves you that stress, that money you're going to spend trying to remedy the situation or the problem last minute. You don't even put the child under stress or pressure because mm-hmm. low key, something you admit, imagine maybe you're able to do something maybe first week yeah. and you have exam coming up, maybe week 11 or week 12. And you're not trying to get last minute after parent conference and parent conference is usually like in the middle of the term. That's like six weeks. So you have five weeks gone. So, so you're having like maybe an exam is towards the end. You're not trying to remedy the situation, getting a lesson teacher yeah. or trying yeah. to do last minute fire brigade reading. It doesn't really work. The child might be able to pass in quotes, but the child has not truly learned. So if you're able to know um, the learning goals for your child in your child's learning journey, it says you all those issues. So that's, that's those are, when, when I mean targets, it's just that like general milestones or oh. general things a child should be able to meet. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of happy we went a little bit into that because you kind of explained the concept a little bit clearer that I think will be useful yeah. to people. And one, yeah. a key phrase that I really liked is developmental milestones. So I, I yeah. like the idea of a developmental milestones, but I, I can't help to, to wonder like for a parent to be able to set developmental milestone, that means it has to be active parenting. So what yeah. I what I've seen that is this popular is some parents just take a hands-off approach and they just send the child to the school and leave everything at the at the care of the teachers and all that. So like what, yeah. what, what mindset do you think parents need to cultivate to have that active approach, to have a more of a hands-on approach where they go into the the mindset of creating those milestones and actually following through them. And to be fair, most parents are kind of like very busy. With busy, yeah. To provide. So like, what, are, what, are, what is the mindset do you think parents can have? Like, what view of life do you think they should adopt to actually help them enter into that active um, mindset? Um, okay, so there was one time we had like a training in my school and okay. it was more, it had to do with um, abuse right and we in the training what sort of stuck with me in that training um it's like a few years back and i think that's what helped me with my teaching um they said um according to research and the studies 
mentioned, um, one of the leading causes of abuse, it's not even sexual abuse in children, it has to do with neglect. Mm. Neglect. And it's a common thing in Nigeria, not just only in Nigeria, generally um, in other parts of the world. So it's important you know your child. What does neglect do to your child? Mm -hmm. One, it leads to other form of abuse. Mm-hmm. Two, your child is not going to do too well in, in school. That's the truth. You start seeing children because um, they, they know that their only form of solace or where they can get their attention and care is in the school, which yeah. is not right. Okay. You so- understand? And it's sort of like, um, it sort of like molds the child's um, view of life or generally view towards learning mm-hmm. or just their childhood when you hear of um, people that are victims of neglect from their parents or from their caregivers um, as adults, you sort of see the way they see life. They don't necessarily have like a happy childhood mm-hmm. and it affects their learning. So like my own advice to like parent is you want your child at the end of the day should not just look at you as, oh, mommy went to work know that he went to work and all that don't just think that school is the only place whereby you can drop your child and you go to work and that's the end learning takes place also in the home Mm -hmm. learning should even continue that's the whole point of homework Mm -hmm. homework should be done with um parent it's not just only a child remember it is still a child trying to learn trying to understand concept, trying to um, understand certain concept. So the whole point of homework is to consolidate learning that has already happened in the school. Your mm. child is learning, is developing. They are trying to understand certain concept. Something as basic as addition could be a fun activity you could do over the weekend if you are a busy parent. And I think that's why uh, most schools now they're taking in terms of learning and mm. homework and assignment they're taking um, the approach of they are taking the approach of pro, um, project based task whereby it's not just one plus one is one you can do something fun with your child to consolidate or understand concept that was being taught um, within the week it's your child at the end of the day there is only so much a school can really do to help your child Mm -hmm. like you mentioned earlier for the most part of the day a child can only spend like say max maybe eight hours in a school Mm -hmm. what happens to the other 16 hours yeah that is your own responsibility that's why you're the caregiver caregiver providing that care that emotional need that Mm -hmm. emotional support you are still going to you're still the teacher technically Mm -hmm. technically Mm -hmm. you're still going to teach your child whether it's the former concept being taught in the school or even in terms of morals, in terms of responsibilities, in terms of trying to shape their mind on, their, on, on the general view of the world, your child is still depending on you to give them that. And they actually listen to parents more because mm-hmm. they know they can trust their parent. We are just adults that are being trained. And because mm-hmm. maybe we have that passion to help children but at the end of the day, they are your kids and 
if you truly love your child, it's not just only um, providing them the best form of education, you should also be able to impact or transfer this knowledge, what you've learned to them. And children actually learn when you do. So when you spend time with your child, they assimilate faster. They don't even assimilate as fast as, and it's, it's as something I've actually seen or I've observed. Okay. Um, they assimilate faster when you are teaching them. They want to listen to you speak. They trust your judgment compared to when you um, sort of like bring a lesson teacher you get to the house to teach them. They enjoy that bonding time because they know you're busy and all that. But when you make out time for your kids, they don't ever forget. Kids do not ever forget that experience, that bonding time experience um, you spend with them. Like for example, now Bruno, say, do you remember any fun activity you had with your dad? Oh yeah. I, I do you, can you reflect? Or do you remember the number of times maybe he bought you gifts? Can you count? Yeah, I think I have some some learning experiences with my dad because my dad was pretty much a I think he, he was pretty much hands-on sort of. So yeah. he was always interested in assignments and homeworks and all that. Even I think up up to the point where they were kind of like out of his league, you know, when you got to the point where the maths were now too kind of like tough for him to, to to carry along and stuff but but for the most part my literature because he was more into literature most of my literature assignments we did them together and book recommendations yeah. and stuff yeah i remember all that so yeah. like my love for for reading i remember my dad um got up and got us books bought books for us to read and he would read with us but not my english teacher that made me like reading it was the fact that oh when I get home, there's always a book on the table or there is something I can always discuss with my father for like there's a book we've read and all that. And I still reflect on that as a child. When I was a child, I always looked forward to, to moments like that. And that's how children really do see it. Oh, they always look forward to spending time with their parent. They enjoy it. So truly, if you want your child to sort of like have a happy childhood. I'm not talking about beatings. I'm not talking about abuse in the marriage. If you just want your child to remember you in court and remember the good times they've had or spent with you, things that really matter, you have to spend time. You have to make that sacrifice. It might be, it might be a whole lot. It might not be easy juggling that part, um, yeah. trying to provide food, trying to do other things, provide um, shelter and all that. But you also need to know that that is also an important responsibility or an important um, job you have to do as a parent. You're not just only providing them food, you have to still teach them if you mm -hmm. want them to truly progress and all that, yeah. Yeah, like like what, what you're saying, I love it. It's like beautiful. It, it calls to to focus the deliberateness of, of being a parent. So you're not just a parent that you have a child. You're a parent yeah. in what you put towards developing that child. And that issue of neglect is important. And, and like what you said, like the parents, they are like the first tutors the children have because at the early stage of child development, they basically copy through a process called- where they 
yeah to where they see what the parent is doing and try to do it so that that, yeah. re, that reinforced pattern has kind of like creates that feedback loop where the trust is in the parent so you're right so so when parents are actively engaged in teaching their children they it becomes easy it becomes easier yeah. to learn and, and that that's very important so to, and okay sorry sorry can i add sorry yeah, just a little ahead. bit yeah, yeah. um yeah. also like for the working class parent if it's if you think maybe um daily activities might be might be a bit overwhelming for you in terms of managing your time and all that you could just spend maybe the weekend you could use the weekend saturday and sunday but just make the children know that you're making that effort mm -hmm. the key word is effort because children know when you make that effort to support or help them learn they appreciate it at least if they know they have that time on the weekend they look forward to that and it sort of sort of um save you that stress of when your when your child's problem like maybe the learning problem becomes maybe it accumulates and it becomes sort of like a big deal you're able to nip it yeah yeah that that that's that's actually very important yeah what you, what you said is perfect because we you cannot automatically rule out the fact that some parents are busy which is true yeah and again the issue of not trying to neglect your child and having the weekend so it still goes back to kind of like setting priorities like as a, as a parent yeah. what are your priorities before you decide to go into um a family situation where you have kids uh, i think parents should people that aspire to parents should actually go through that process of defining what their priorities are and how they want yeah. to actualize it and translate it to their children, uh, which is good because, like, I think the mistake most people make is they see kids and they assume, oh, they're innocent and they don't know anything. Mm. But, like, kids are very vulnerable. Yeah. They observe, they are very emotional humans and they see things yeah. and their memories are fresh and they are young. And, and they don't forget easily. Yes, you can imprint in them. So if people yeah. have that mindset that, oh, these kids are actually seeing, they're learning, and they don't forget easily, we tend to be more conscious around them and more conscious of our efforts. Like, yeah. hey, thank you for those, for those words. I, I find them really interesting. So another, I, I want to do like a segue. So, okay. so, so we're talking about kids. So from your experience so far, what are like the common learning challenges that children face? I know each kid has, um, what's it called? Each kid has, each kid is unique and each kid have yeah. their kind of strength and weaknesses and all that. But after training so many children, I'm thinking there'll be kind of like reoccurring challenges, kind of like learning challenges that you see children face. It could be short attention span, whatever it is. I, I, I don't know. So I'd, I'd like you to speak a little bit on that. Okay, so like you mentioned, one is maybe you have children that um, have, they are showing signs of ADHD. So mm. you actually have kids that actually have, they're restless and they have that short attention span. Then you have kids in, in sort of like maybe behavioral mm -hmm. in terms of their behavior. And you have learning problems, maybe kids that are maybe so that maybe they are struggling with math concept, understanding math concept. You have what is called dyscalculia. Mm -hmm. Then you have 
um, children that have the literacy issues are not understanding certain words and all that. You have dyspraxia, dyscalculia, you have dyslexia. But you also have children that, um, that's why you have like the special learning support kids that not necessarily particular subjects, just generally, they are like slow to grasp a concept. So you have those kids that are like low ability learners and you just need to know how you could accommodate or meet that learning need. And you also have kids that maybe they, do, they have bad handwriting. They don't know how to write or they just have, actually you have kids that have bad tempers. Mm. They could, yeah, at an early age, they're already showing signs of that. And that could also be like, um, it could just be a sign of other emotional needs they might need, they might actually have. And it could be as a result of neglect mm. from the house or from their homes and all that. So there are so many things you could look at. They are learning difficulties in terms of learning. Okay. And you could also look at it in terms of behavior, their behavior patterns, what they're facing, like the ADHD mm. um, kids. And then you also have, I'm trying to remember, there's one hmm, in my school. I think it will come, it will come to me before oh, yeah. the end of this discussion. Well, sure. But like you have kids that have um, behavior patterns. I'm trying to get you yeah. actually have kids that are Down syndrome in oh. my school that we have to still, that's why you have all those um, specialized facilitators trying to help them, you get. Yeah, and yeah. kids that can't see, you get. Yeah. We have poor eyesight, in quote. So you need to look at those um, learning tools that you would need to include in your planning as a teacher when you're trying to teach a topic. So you just need to factor in kids that have special educational needs yeah. and kids that um, just your general um, kids that they are restless and all that, the behavior part of it, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah thank you, yeah, that, that's cool. And I think the reason why I asked that question is to lead up to another question, all right? Yeah. So like what I what I see around is the need, sort of like what parents do, like in quotes, my child is special in a way. So parents yeah. tend to, what's it called? Create like a perfect image of the of their children in their mind and trying to project it to others. And sometimes that might lead to them not exactly seeing some of the learning challenges that the students are facing. Um, their children yeah. rather are facing at school and the teachers maybe might see them. So have you, have you experienced yeah. a situation where a parent doesn't know that the child has his learning disabilities? Of course, a whole lot. And I think it's just a denial part because they don't want to accept yeah. that their child actually has these needs. Um, it's just denial. And... Um, Parents actually, if we're being honest and if they're being true to themselves, like I said, development does not just start in the classroom. Yeah. It starts from when your child is like a fetus, right? Mm -hmm. And 
even when you go to a hospital, maybe something as little as abnormal heartbeats mm. on your child, it's a sign of a learning need in quote or a special, like, you know, when you say kids are special, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, like a health, yeah, health condition. And you have parents, and okay, and apart from a parent being in denial, you actually have parents that are actually ignorant of mm. this. Yeah, so you have some parents, like um, there was one training I went for on Down syndrome and all that, and children that are autistic. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a common one in my school, kids that are autistic. Um, you have some parents that... In all honesty, they are maybe they from maybe their background, they've never experienced that um, maybe having relatives that are autistic. And it's when it's their own turn to go into parenthood, they are not being faced with that challenge. And they feel that maybe, oh, give it time. That's the whole point of the whole milestone, developmental milestone. Yeah. <clears throat> like your child should be, you should be able to know when your child is crawling. There should be a certain stage where your child should be working, should be having that social interaction with other children. And you're seeing your child staying alone. It's like, oh, my child is quiet. Oh, I think it's from my husband's side or mm-hmm. I think it's from my side. I'm a naturally shy person or yeah. maybe I'm a naturally quiet person. I don't know that your child is also displaying other factors that your that the child's parent and the child's teacher is actually picking. Maybe because the child is not interacting socially with other kids and you see the child constantly holding on to maybe there's a particular toy i'm just giving you some um, general like an example of maybe an autistic child some signs or early signs that we teachers we actually see that we have to monitor and we don't just label um teachers don't um, naturally label a child and say oh in maybe say for example in senior nursery this child did not interact when we're singing nursery rhymes, the child did not take part. So the child um, automatically is an autistic person or has a special need. No, you have to monitor these things closely. And when you tell the parent or you start asking the parent certain questions, they become defensive, mm. you know, because they love their child. Yes. They don't want, I think it's just maybe an instance. One is the denial part. Two, they are trying to be protective of their child. They feel maybe, oh, you can't label my child. It's too early. Wow. No, and and I think they're also sort of like, um, praying for some sort of like maybe miracle or intervention. That's correct. You know? Yeah, yeah. They are wishing. Oh, let's wait and see. And you know, the early, I think it's it's just that and those things. Denial, maybe ignorance or just being protective, but. If parents truly want to be honest, Mm -hmm. they know, they actually do know, they actually know. It's just that instinct, that natural instinct. You know, when your offspring, there might be something wrong with your child, you get, and you're just being in denial. Imagine someone is telling you, oh, your child is, it's heartbreaking, you understand? It's bad enough you're entering into parenthood, you're trying to understand how it works. Yeah. trying to understand how to care for that's a whole lot that's another bug altogether that's Mm. a whole concept on its own so i think parents in my experience working with parents 
kids in my school, we actually have kids that are like that. And when you have these meetings, mm-hmm. we, we're very sensitive about these meetings because you don't want to um, make the parent feel a type of way. Yeah. But when you have these sort of meetings, maybe you have like oh, you, your first meeting with maybe Senko, which is like the special education needs mm-hmm. department, maybe the head of Senko, the class teacher, the head of a section. Are you having this meeting with your parents? Sometimes some parents are being honest. They'll mm-hmm. tell you, yes. Sometimes those are the good parents. Parents are not necessarily, not, not that the other ones are bad, but those yeah. are the proactive parents rather. They actually maybe out of their own way, they must have done like some form of um, some form of um, test outside the school. So yeah. maybe when you are admitting the child into the school, they already have like some sort of report. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is something we've noticed and this and this and this. And those are the proactive and learned parents. Yes. And maybe parents that are not learned or parents that are in denial, they'll tell you there's nothing wrong with my child. My child cannot speak in, in the classroom. No, he's a noisemaker and I'm at home. <laughs> my child cannot write. No, my child, yes. <laughs> Autistic kids are very smart. When you're telling your, your maybe you're telling um, a parent, oh, we notice he likes to play on his own. He doesn't like socializing with kids and blah, blah, blah. You might hear a parent that might be in denial saying something like, no, is it so, so, so? Uh-uh. He even read the whole newspaper to me. Mm. They say my child cannot do this. He can read this. He can do the math well. He can do this. What are you saying? Before you know, you understand being protective. Yeah. If you're not, if you're not um, diplomatic about this sort of thing, they might just withdraw their kids and say, no, no, no. You want to label my child. No, 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 no. So you want to start picking on my child. So because he can't do your job as a teacher. And mm. so you want to now say, this is the reason why my child is this. No, no, no. And when you start, when, 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 what we try, what, what we try to do as teachers is we try to monitor these things at major milestones, maybe say reception, which is the early years, which is the last class. Mm-hmm. Say if your child is in the early years department, going to a new class that mm-hmm. has to do with more formal education or more formal learning. When we tell these parents these things, you, you try to pick it up early on, speak with the parents so you can start um, looking at strategies and ways to help the child oh, or reduce certain things you get. When these parents are in denial and it's sort of like too late, you, you've lost, in quotes, not, not necessarily you've lost the child, but what you would have been able to prevent or you would, you would have been able to achieve if the parents were more cooperative at the early, early stage or the onset, you won't be able to do that when the child has developed more. Remember, these kids are developing at each classroom. They are assimilating. They are building up. So it's sort of like it's, it doesn't go well or it doesn't always end well when these parents are in, in, the are in denial. Yeah. Yes, in that denial phase. And when they come around to say, oh, I think you were right or Oh, I think this is it's it's not always it's it's not always good, Jerry. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I get you, you're right. And and sometimes the whole denial thing might be a place place of love, trying to protect their child yeah. from, from yeah. or plain ignorance or yeah. 
whatever whatever the form you might take. But I, I think there's also a social aspect of it where the yeah. parent knows other parents and the children knows other children. So it, it would be a case of, oh, I don't want to look like the family that has this. So yeah. the kind of like the, the, the kind of like the negative connotation those things have. Yeah. They don't label my child and all exactly. that. Exactly. Like being autistic isn't bad. But it is not. Exactly. Having Down syndrome isn't bad. It is, it is state, not. It is a state of being. But you have a society where some of those things are kind of like looked down on. Yeah. So creating that um, defense mechanism in parents not to want to take the proactive step, even if they know from the beginning. So I, I, yeah. I, I think what, what, which is easier said than done, like if parents realize that ultimately what is important is a child's development, like yeah. you get your child the best possible help as early as possible and help the child to grow and live a normal life. Yeah. be far better off than you trying to cower to societies um or what would say what would people do yeah yeah i think the i think um in nigeria i don't know but in lagos yeah i don't know of other states but i think we are um sort of like opening up or we're becoming more receptive or we're accepting that these that special needs kids and mm-hmm. they're beginning to not not necessarily opening up at a faster pace okay. but i think you have parent and i don't mean parent from certain class um i'm talking about the middleman class and parents that are below yeah yeah so it's no longer a sort of like a taboo or a hush hush mm-hmm. or like something you should be ashamed of Mm-hmm. We're beginning to normalize. Mm. Beginning emphasis on the word beginning to. Yeah. Open, not even making steady progress, but you have a case whereby parents are now more accepting. You're not seeing children being sent maybe to the village to stay with their grandparent mm. or hidden in certain places. Mm. You have main some mainstream schools, some not necessarily major the mainstream schools that are beginning to accept children that maybe might have special needs yeah you get but then again it's not about them accepting you need to have um safe facilitators people that are skilled yeah the right structures in place yes yes but at least um i think when gd bank you know the, and there's a there's a yearly event by gt I think it's their CSR on raising awareness on autism and the likes. Yeah, yeah. I think and that's you have, yeah, so you have um, parent, regular parent, not necessarily rich parent mm. that are coming out in mass wanting to learn or know how to work with their children compared to like other years in the back, maybe say five years ago or maybe say seven or eight years ago. You now have more parents that are accepting and have maybe a fair understanding of what their child is facing, sort of. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. That, 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 that's a very important step in the right direction. Like beginning, like you said, like to have like those open conversations, 
yeah normalize the things that were considered as taboo before that is a good that is a good first step so i yeah. I, I like kudos to gta and every other organizations out there that are doing something similar like it's a conversation yeah. that needs to be had like the development yeah. of the is important across every spectrum of a child's being there's always there's always value there's always potentials that can be tapped in and if yeah. it is more accommodating would have more avenues for creativity, more ways to explore the human experience than, than we would ever know instead of hiding them in the corners or in the shadows. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So I'd like us to transition into modes of learning. So, mm. so you, you mentioned you are into ICT and, and all that, into like digital learning and stuff. So yeah, basically a more generic question, what are like the... What is the de- what has been the developmental process for learning, like kind of like teaching children? So if you are going to do like a brief historical account, how it was before, how is it mm-hmm. now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just okay. from my perspective, you know. How you say okay. it might not be far back as the 1600s, maybe like five or ten years ago, or maybe from when you were receiving learning as, as a child. Then what is I think I have okay. All right, so, so just, just, just do that. Really. <laughs> okay, so maybe um, I will use myself like oh, when I was a child, yeah. how I received education. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you have, you still have your primary school, secondary school and university. Mm-hmm. And if I have to look back, um, and this is just me. This is not yeah, sure, sure. general because um, what I wanted to say is just um, like, okay, my primary school teachers, I don't think, and that's sad, honestly. I was having this conversation with my friend, but okay. no, I don't think any teacher stood out for me. And it's sad. I don't know why. And I try to, maybe it's just me, but I don't know. But um, like I, I keep picturing myself in the classroom as a child and what I know then was oh, we had this blackboard and like chalk and yeah. like cane cane stood out for me <laughs> if you miss me I don't know why cane because like, I okay because honestly like okay in my in my postgraduate we had to do that reflective thinking mm-hmm. um, okay how did um, how did you receive education and honestly that was what I wrote in my process book and came to that for me, you have to be flogged, which I don't think we're doing that. I, I can't do that in my workplace. And I don't think I'll ever do that as a teacher. And I don't think for me, because um, I'm, I'm trying to do this comparative analysis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as a child, when I received the education, it was more of whatever your teacher says, you have to accept. Like you can't question, yes. You can't question why. You can't ask that why. You can't explore um, to know, to accept or receive learning. You understand? There was yeah. no adventure, sadly. There was no adventure. Um, I think it was just more of like, even the seating arrangement yeah. was just too strict or like remote style of learning, what is yeah. a computer? Whatever your, 
you want whatever your teacher tells you is a computer, that is it. And you don't even know what a computer is used for. You, you understand? I'm just giving that example. You don't even know what a computer is used for. You can't say it in your own words. Mm. You get. So for me, um, far back, it was more, I think it was more of like the whole decks and a chair. You have a sitting partner. Mm. You have to recite your two times table. <laughs> there were no other method to understand setting maths setting math concepts, something like multiplication, you know, or it's like something like multiplication, your two times table, it has to do with um, addition, repetitive addition, adding two plus two, yeah. adding this plus this plus this, grouping method. There are not different styles of learning. Yes. Maybe as a teacher, maybe as a teacher, I had to learn all those things. But um, in my school then, I can't mention the school, but it was just so sad. Like it wasn't yeah. fun. No name dropping. Maybe it was maybe it was more mm -hmm. like, yeah, and no names dropping, but we know the school. <laughs> but honestly, it was not fun. It wasn't fun. Maybe fun was outside playing with my friends, which yeah. is also another form of learning. Mm -hmm. But who says um learning can be fun in the classroom? That is why even learning should be fun. You understand? Your child should your your kids should be able to explore the classroom. There should be computer areas. There should be areas for games. You should have like a library. Something as simple as a library, Bruno. Mm -hmm. I did not really in primary school, in honesty, I don't think I had that reading time. I can't remember any time we went to the library. It was just like a special place. A special <laughs> place. Like, it's like a mysterious place. Or like a special place where... Yes. <laughs> if you go, you have to come out. <laughs> so it wasn't fun. You get so floggy for no just reason. Kneel down. Did this, did this, did this. It wasn't just fun. You have to cram, la cram la poor. Everybody stand up. Everybody, okay, go for assembly. I'm not saying that is bad though. No. But yeah, but it was too rigid. It was too authoritative. It was too rigid. It wasn't fun. You understand? Like um compared to now. Um, okay, like, okay, in terms of ICT, because I like to pick that too, maybe because it's my recent um, work experience. Yeah. Um, in terms of ICT, right? Mm -hmm. Sadly, when I was a child, sadly, I don't think we went, I could count the number of times I went to the ICT lab. But I, I knew for a fact that it was in that our levy, like your school fees. Yeah. You have to pay computer levy. Yeah. Yes. But sadly, we did not have any practical experience. Like the kids I teach, sometimes I may be jealous whenever I teach them. In my heart, I can't tell them that because it would be, be shameful. But in my heart, I'm like, oh, these children, you don't know what you all are enjoying. Because I used to compare myself, oh, Chaka in year three, or maybe imagine little Chaka of maybe year two, primary two. Yeah. learning how to use, beginning to learn how to use, uh, not necessarily proficient, but beginning to learn how to use certain tools, like maybe um, PowerPoint, you Google like Drawing. You yourself with it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And remember, like, we had that same, oh, a computer is this that processes, that sends input, processes, yeah. and brings out information. That's all. We don't even know what a computer can use. What? 
um, what we, we, we can use a computer for. We know the parts of the computer, but we don't have typing skills. We don't have mouse control skills. And these are certain things that a child should be able to develop, even in the primary level, yeah. not even secondary level. I'm not even talking about tertiary. You then all just said about tertiary. So we carry that same um, nonsense, that same style of learning to secondary school. Secondary school was still the same. Mm -hmm. Physics class, me and my friends, we're, we're all laughing today about, oh, when we go to physics and the only thing we'll say, oh, what, how did you avoid anything? Or what, what, what precautions did you take? And the normal thing we always, um, we always um, write was, um, I avoided error due to parallax. Oh God, <laughs> I swear to God, like that's the only thing we, that was standard, standard one in your work. Yeah. Well, error due to parallax, nothing more. Do I even know, mm -hmm. the only fun thing for me was just biology practical. And that's yeah. the only thing I think stood out. Ebo, you see one woman selling crawfish and blah, blah, blah. It was not just nice, it wasn't fantastic. And I was asking some of my friends like today, oh, who was your favorite teacher? Who was your favorite math teacher? And they were to mention, and me, I don't know why, maybe, I, I honestly don't know why, but in all honesty, um, I don't think anybody stood out for me. But now, um, bringing it back to today's world, you have kids that are more IT savvy, kids that have certain ICT or IT skills. You have children that are questioning certain concepts, challenging the teachers. Oh, why do I have to accept? And I think maybe maybe because that's the new generation of teachers, the in quote 21st century teachers. Yeah. You are not teaching your children to accept whatever. That is not good teaching practice. Your child or your the children in your school should be able to question. You need to question why they are accepting certain concepts. And accept it and know it for themselves with full conviction, not because um, my teacher told me so. So you have children that, oh, we want to find out what a computer is. They have access to infrastructures or equipment facilities, or we want to learn how to swim. They know this, um, and these are life skills. Yeah. That I think a school, a normal school should instill in children. It's not just only math. Yeah. That's why you have more like project-based learning. You have exams that are in quote, open-ended. You understand? You have exams that are using real life scenarios, settings when you're setting questions, like maybe in ICT, normally maybe in the past, maybe, and that was what um, I think someone like a mentor sort of advised to me. Like in the past, I used to, because in honesty, I, I did not learn education, you get, I, well enough with the whole teaching thing. And um, in the past, because I was still borrowing the concept, the teaching concept or the way my, the way teachers in the past used to teach. In my exam papers, I will be setting questions like, what is this? Least three advantages of this, yeah. this, 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 because I want you to pull out whatever it is I've taught you. But that's not how you truly, truly assess a child. Okay, the child might get 40 over 40, but as that child truly understood, um, as that child really understand, understood that concept, does that child have that skill set that when he's leaving the school, he'll be able to apply it in real life um, situation you get? So you have teachers that are 
certain practical questions or children, um, you have teachers rather that are setting like scenario-based questions. You understand if the child understand or have truly understood that concept. You have, um, even in the classrooms, like I mentioned, you don't have um, a classroom setting whereby it's only the decks and the chair. Like in the early years, um, I wish I could show you a picture of my, that's, I think that's one of my favorite, one of the favorite classes I love to teach because it sort of like enabled my creativity and enabled me to freestyle and own my teaching. So like in, a, in an early, um, like in an early year setting, mm -hmm. you only see like few chairs, maybe max four chairs, and you have 10 children. You might see like a rug, you might see like a library corner, you might even see like a TV corner, you might even see like toys, like your play corners where you could go to and do your role play. It's not just even in the classroom. Learning is also taking place outside. So, You're not just limiting the children to like say, oh, this is the fixed timetable. Once it's time, go and learn math, go and learn English, <laughs> go and learn science, go and learn this. No, you are even, there's something called cross-curricular where you are relating what you've learned in math to like maybe English, maybe you're reading words and you say, oh, um, how many apples can you see in the picture? Okay, let's count. See, we've linked it to math. Or, yeah. oh, let's find out why this is this. Oh, let's go and plant. Let's study the stages of growth in say, maybe a bean, the life cycle of a bean. Or, oh, we're going to bring in maybe a pet, a class pet. So they are learning responsibilities. The learning has to be responsible. You also have circle time where you're talking about your feelings and emotions. I don't think I did that in, I don't think I did that when I was I, a young child. I don't remember having circle. I, I honestly do not. It was only going to guidance and counseling to go and find out what you want to be when you are older. <laughs> and that's bad. But I think in today's world, you have um, teachers that are in the pastoral. Mm -hmm. So you have issues like, you know, you have certain issues like bullying and my school, we're, we're trying to do, we, we do this thing called, um, we practice kindness. So yeah. you have like a kindness tree. Every child is responsible for each. Mm -hmm. um, you're responsible. It's your, it's your responsibility to be kind to other people and such things. So it's not just, I think in today's form of, maybe it's my school or the other schools I have taught or maybe it's just today's form of teaching you get you have it, it it's no longer the whole math english the subjects you're not trying to give the children um other skill set life skill set that it is that once they leave the school setting they will be able to apply it in their life so it's just those things like we can't i can't plug a child but there are other ways i can discipline a child and i think for me honestly I think one thing I said when I started teaching, and that's something I, I try to leave by is that, like I mentioned, children remember mm -hmm. if they had a good um, childhood or not, if they enjoyed um, whatever it is, whatever experience, they're able to know when they're older, if it was a good one or a bad one. And I said, I, I honestly want to be that kind of teacher that in all honesty, um, any child that leaves my classroom will have a fun experience. They won't be afraid to learn. They don't want to be scared when they want to um, come to school. They are not afraid of me. 
they should be able to tell me how they feel and all that. So I think that's just me. I, it is my job. I don't want to hate teaching. It's where I'm going to spend like maybe the next eight hours of my life apart from my house. So I want the experience to be good for me and to be good for the child. So I try to make sure that <clears throat> I create that enabling environment where even if it's something as little as ICT or it's something as simple as maybe early years, or mm -hmm. doing something fun, as much as we're having fun, learning is still taking place directly or indirectly. And I think, I try to think, not, not, not necessarily I think, at least the kids I've taught um, in my first school, which, which was not even a British school in quote, but like a Nigerian school, mm -hmm. um, at least to some extent, they still remember me, at least the kids in my area that I used to teach. They still, not, it's not as if I'm one popular teacher in my school or it's not as if the school is close to my house. But once in a while, whenever I, I see them, I pretend as if I don't know them. And they'll say, oh, I know you. I remember you. I remember you used to teach me this. And for me, I think that I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the fact that at least to some extent, they still remember me. And when they remember me, they don't, you know how there's some form of remembrance. You want to avoid the teacher. You squeeze your face or you're angry. But at least to some extent, to some extent, they are smiling. And like, okay, that's fine. So that's that. Yeah. I think I'm not just the only teacher that does that. I think my other colleagues too try to also make their own um, learning fun, which is ideal. Yeah, I think the, the beauty of the educational system or the beauty of, um, of, of learning is when you have like passionate teachers like yourself that are willing to go through the extra mile, that are willing to do the introspection to look at the system and how to improve it to create a better learning environment for the children like that, that yeah. makes all the difference in the world i know i have that squeezing your face experience for a couple of teachers <laughs> no name dropping i'm not going to name anyway no name dropping okay. <laughs> so yeah like if you like uh like like from all you said like what stood out to me and i think the experience was, was the same thing for me like when I was learning, it was more of a, a dictatorial approach. So where you yeah. had dictating the knowledge, you mostly had to cram and, and come and pour it back on the paper. But now you have more of an interactive, grounded and well-rounded teaching experience. Where the children yeah. actually are given the living environment to explore and yeah. And, 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 but, yeah. but in all fairness, mm -hmm. while we were experiencing that form of learning right okay. you still have um people that are let's say in our age um group or bracket that actually enjoyed or had uh, maybe a good a good um learning system they maybe okay. what i'm saying now because maybe now i'm in the educational phase and yeah. i'm in the educational i'm now teaching and um maybe I'm teaching a good school, you still have people, maybe like my mates that actually experienced, they all had a different experience compared to what we, we had. Yeah, like, you understand? But you were not many. But yeah, like, there are people too that had that good quality education. Yeah. Yeah, like my own experience isn't, isn't all that, like I had, I had some- Great, okay. 
like for my own experience was was kind of like guitar and soup and okay some of like the interest some of the reasons why i started conversation series like this like for the educational system themselves the way they function it wasn't all that yeah. good for me like i said earlier i had, yeah. had like a parent that was hands-on so okay when i was early like early in my primary years i was i was taking computer classes outside school oh, okay but when i came back from school so i I did the whole microsoft Corel draw so i was pretty much good with computers so when i was in like yeah three or so i was like the computer prefect in my school oh I, nice yeah i was better off than most of most of the kids around and that was not necessarily because of the educational system was because my dad actually took active interest in me Learning, oh. learning those skills and i think i i dabbled in music at a particular point but I wasn't, oh nice i wasn't any good at it outside the school shopping. so it boils back to to like to, to what we started off like parents having developmental milestone for their kids being yeah. active in training their children so sort of like like some people might not be fortunate to go to those schools where the curriculums are very robust they're very nice and yeah but when you have parents that are active in training their children, they will look for other alternatives. Yes, honestly. So you can yes. do an investment in your house and buy a computer set and walk your children through it, even if it's a guitar and teach them music. So, so that yeah. learning experience, the teaching experience doesn't necessarily start and end in school. It continues. It doesn't. Yeah, so it continues at home. So that balancing effect is actually very good because if you leave your kids to the school system, so they are the mercy of how good or how bad the school system is. But if you if you provide that extra learning environment, you kind of like try to cushion that effect and make it a little bit interesting for them. So yeah, yeah. yeah this has been a lovely conversation. Uh, one on the digital learning aspect of it. So I am yeah. I am very 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 much not like I'm kind of like against the digital culture in this. Why? Age because of the addiction to to the social medias and and all the not so fun stuff that happened on the internet so you have people becoming more glued to their screen you have people having less social interaction because they are talking to people on the phone instead of talking to people around them so there is also yeah. that, that negative effect of of the whole digitization of of, of our lives so how do you think parents and teachers can help children maintain a balance to, to kind of like maximize the upside of using those digital tools and also minimize the downside of becoming addicted to them either through social media or whatever biases are out there? So um, I think on the part of parents, like you mentioned, um, when, when you take that active interest in your child's life, and your hands on, um, you'll be able to, if you spend more time with your kids, right? Um, you could reduce screen time. I know of I, I know some I know of some parents that um, no TV, they, they have that rule where they um, sort of tell their kids you don't you don't have no TV time when it's cold week, um, only on the weekend, maybe say Saturday, and because they are Sticking to that, they have to spend time. They have to create activities. They have to look for activities that their child has to be involved in okay. with them or without them. 
And um, I know some parents too that don't give their kids iPads or devices, whatever screen time you have ends in school. It can't be in the house, you get. But then, like you mentioned, I mean, still have parents that don't really care and all that. So what you could do as, say, a parent, you could have a, a timetable or a time allocated or allotted to screen time for maybe your iPad or TV. And maybe you could have movies nights. So the child already has sort of in quote, indirectly has like a balanced view of when it's moving. Like they have like a positive mindset towards um, yeah. technology. They don't think it's mommy's not around. I have to press my phone. Oh, I'm bored. I have to press my phone. There are other engaging things you could do for your kids. Also, um, also, um, even if you have to do that and um, screen time and all that, um, you have to make sure that it's safety and child safety. So you're making sure that there are certain um, search engines that are safe. Mm-hmm. You get. So yeah. you have to make sure, even with YouTube, even with other platforms, um, you have to make sure that you are there. And I think there was a topic we did in ICT, and that was when I found out that social media, especially maybe Facebook and other um, other platforms, at your, your your child is not meant to own an account at certain ages, say age twelve plus or age thirteen. Whatever business your child has to do with social media, your parent, the parent has to make sure that whatever content or the likes, they are in charge of it. So it still boils down to you being actively involved in your child's life. Because because honestly, it is even true all these forms of technology that um, certain information can be passed across and it might stay in the child's head and all that. Then as teachers, um, in ICT, there's something called digital citizenship, where mm-hmm. you talk about technology and the effect technology has on you, and you have that kind of conversation with the kids. You know that you have to be digitally responsible, or you have to be digital citizens, and you need to know the bad side of social media and likes, what to do when you visit, because let's be honest and if we're being very realistic when you factor in how busy a parent can be the whole neglect and all that the vice or the means the child can engage or take out their boredom has to do with using their device so as teachers we just have to make sure that they're responsible you need to also be aware that oh if you visit certain website what do you need to do how do you feel when you visit certain website? You get, um, if you're not comfortable, tell an adult before you visit a website, ensure that an adult has approved that. So we start that, um, I know I, you have to start that kind of conversation, even in kindergarten, we talk about screen time. Do you, are you meant to use your tab and all of that? And we also limit screen time in my school, that's certain. Um, we also try to, be careful of um, iPads and like usage of iPads. So the IT 
administrators making sure that certain websites are, even if a child has to use iPad and the lights in the school, certain web websites are off limit. You can't even access it. So that's another way we try to um, help or talk to kids about it. You have to have that conversation. If your parents are not around and you have to use your phone, what websites are good, what websites are not good. We also try to even have conversations also with parents. Okay, fine, you might not necessarily be 20, um, you might not necessarily be present or available and all that. But why, what, what are those steps you need to take to help your child? Because at the end of the day, the common goal or our common interest is making sure the child is well-rounded and being well-rounded, you have to make sure that the child is safe. You get not just safe from people, physical people or strangers, but yeah. also strangers online. So in ICT, it's not just only the skill set we're trying to build or help develop them, these kids. And um, we also try to look at the other aspect of ICT, which has to do with um, digital citizenship. And it's not just only in secondary school, we have that conversation. At least me, I know for a fact that I try to mention a little bit of that concept, even as early as kids and um, children that are in the kindergarten. Oh, so we try to make sure that we're having that conversation, we're singing the songs, there are posters being posted in the um, classroom. There's actually a curriculum on ICT on that online safety. It's a must in a curriculum. You must always have such conversation with these kids because we know there are so many dangers and honestly, we just want to protect these kids and make sure that at least we've done our own part and they are aware of the good side and the bad side of technology. Yeah, like what, what you just said so far is, is pretty amazing and, and you're right. So like the, I, li I like most importantly, the proactive conversation with the children, even as early as kindergarten. So they're never too yeah. young to know, they're never too young to learn. So talking yeah. about digital safety and all that, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Like I was having a conversation with a friend um, and with, with, he was kind of like reminiscing on the old days where yeah. TV programs started by 4 p.m. and you mm -hmm. had time slots for cartoon and all that. So you actually had more, you kind of had like a mandated um, zero screen time where nothing was literally showing. So you would have to read your book and all that. Yeah. Yeah, but like the, the environment we find ourselves now is that it's like you're almost always on your screen if you don't if you don't control it. So he was of the opinion, which I totally agree with, is that parents should be more active and create like create like fun, engaging activity. Yes, yeah, non-digital form of entertainment. So like yeah. find things that the kids can do that is in the physical world that it's fun, that it's engaging. Like if you, if you teach them earlier on to realize that they can have fun without their phones. And also- Makes life easy, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and we said earlier that, that kids, they learn through mimesis, that's copying their parents. So if, if you're kind of like a parent that you're always on your phone 24 seven, you're always on your laptop or you're always watching TV while the child is around, like naturally, yeah. yeah, they will think it's a it's natural thing to do. Like parents, they get all happy when they say, oh, this is our child is text savvy, like he's swiping through phone. What the child is basically seeing 
doing is looking at what you're doing and it's just replicating that, that action. So yeah. if, if, if as parents, parents are more conscious that these children are actually copying them and the best way to instill positive attitude in your children, especially when they are young, is for you to leave those positive attitudes. Like to example, mm -hmm. your action, yeah. reduce your screen time, have fun outside, go out, take the kids, engage more with them than either chatting with your friends on the phone or talking. Addiction is real, honestly. Addiction is real, not just only for the kids, even parents too. You just get addicted to the whole use of technology. You think you're bored. Oh, without my phone, I can't do yeah. other things and the like. So that's true. Yeah, it's, uh, on this note, I'd, I'd like to, I think we've been here for over an hour, maybe two. Yes. And it's been an exciting conversation so far. Um, we're going to have like a part two of this conversation. Maybe we'll make it more fun with pictures and videos and slides. And, <laughs> and all the things you wanted to show us, like in the part two, we'll definitely revisit this conversation. <laughs> I know, no problem. Thank you. <laughs> nice having you on the podcast, Checker. Thank you too. Well, it's nice to as well. All right. Thank you.